Mothers need just as much attention as their newborn babies because through that process, they are being reborn. You're listening to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 29 of season two. In today's episode, we speak to Sada Ahmed about postpartum depression, the internal and external struggles of seeking help, and learning to love our bodies. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. You know, I feel like I'm in the point of where I'm just like, I don't want to let summer go because I feel like I'm thriving. <laughs> I, you always, I know I always use the word thriving a lot, but I really do feel like this was my month of thriving because I'm trying new d- different things, even just for the past few months, like just like, you know, taking care of myself, working out every day. And honestly, you guys, only reason why I'm able to do this is because I get to work from home. At first, I was so miserable with working from home. I, I, I was thinking about it in the in the sense of like, I'm actually living at work now at work now until I was like, OK, snap out of it stop being so depressive i mean trigger warning like some of us are actually like (laughs) depressed but stop being you know making everything a big deal like you're working from home what what's the plus side of it and for me it was like i get to actually wake up not put any makeup on and then right after i'm done with work i get to go and jog and run and work out and it's just so much easier i have so much more time to do that yeah i'm actually like michelle michelle like kind of jealous of your summer i'm i've been back at work and i don't have that flexibility with working from home and I know what you're saying I don't want summer to end because it's kind of like the end I know it's the end of a season really but like kind of the end of like now everyone goes back indoors we're not going to be spending more time outdoors and I've really been enjoying just going for walks I feel like this whole pandemic has made me realize that it's really the small things that make me happy. Just a jog around my neighborhood or a walk around the neighborhood with my husband is truly all I need. Like, I don't need fancy dinners. I don't need, like, a night out on the town. I just need to walk around my neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. Wait, but did you ever used to go jogging from before and anything like that? Not jogging, but, like, I like going out and walking. Because, like... But did you do that from before? Before, or just yes. Recently? But I'm okay. appreciating it more now. I see. You That's see? a great yeah. point. Yeah, because I never ran before. Oh, and... no. I, I love... That's, like, my one thing is just like especially once I moved to Chicago going out walking and just like getting to know the area was my favorite favorite thing to do but now I'm like I want to be outside I crave being outside because I'm tired of being locked up indoors so I don't want to get to the point where I'm dreading winter that I'm not being present and enjoying the summer right now because it's still summer you guys it's like 80 degrees out we're in September it's freaking incredible it feels so amazing I'm just thinking like 
once winter comes, especially when you live in Chicago, it's like the worst winter oh, ever. I don't get to go on bike rides. I'm not going to get to go run outside. Like, and indoors is just, I know you're about to say, go indoors, but it's not the no, same. No, no, I wasn't actually. I was going to say with the pandemic, hopefully it'll be over soon. But like, what are we going to do? Yeah, like, Because gyms are still like, you know. Iffy. I will not go to gym. Actually, I want to cancel my gym membership. If you're listening to this. Are they still you paying have... you? I was charging you? Yeah, because but it's my fault. Oh, I allow it to no, charge. No, we like put a freeze on ours. I know you told me that like a month yes. ago and i was like yeah Zina, i'm gonna do that and i never <laughs> you did never listen i never listen i will and then i'm like oh my god where does all my money go i don't know subscriptions <laughs> that i don't use but really i do not see myself ever going back to a gym COVID or not i honestly found so many incredible workouts that i could do at home why did i ever even have a gym membership you guys i have 10 pound dumbbells at home i have like this like waist trainer thing yeah. too and everything like that and it's like i i absolutely love it not that i want a cinched waist i'm never gonna get to that i never had that before so but it's, it's just good for you it just feels good to like it holds me tight yeah, like when yeah. i'm working out i feel like it gives me structure or posture whatever anyways but i just feel like i have the things that i need at home that i can do these like you know workouts at home efficiently so it's like I'm just so happy. I think that's the one thing that really makes me happy now that I don't have to go to a gym anymore or pay for that. And honestly, sometimes I felt self-conscious at a gym. Like there's so many things I would yes. love to do, but it's like, I don't want to look stupid trying out a machine. Stupid. Yeah. I don't want some guy, like a guy, not all guys are like this, whatever, but some guy looking at me while I'm working out and stuff like that. I remember once like, don't ask me how or how this conversation started, but I was talking to the sheikh and I, and I was like, yeah, I go to the gym. <laughs> again, do not ask me how this conversation started. And he's like, oh, it's separate, right? And I'm like, okay, do I lie and get a bad lie deed? To <laughs> or do I just tell him the truth and get a scolding? I'm like, you know, this is stuff for a lie. I can't lie in the gym. I'm like, it's mixed. And he's like, oh my God. He's like, no. And he gave me a whole lecture. And I'm like, I went to a separate gym one time in Florida. It's so much better. It was like an American one gym. It was just women, you know, women owned, women only. And it was the best experience. It's the best. It's truly the best. You're not worried about anything other than just your workout. You guys, I've had the worst workout experiences because there genuinely are creeps at the gym yes. and they're like much older guys and it's just really really creepy and it's very uncomfortable and i'm the type i just i don't care i will give you a dirty look and then i will like approach you and tell you can you stop looking at me because you're creeping me out like yeah. it gets to that point and it's just like i hate that i i hate when it's when i feel that way so again working out at home is just so much better i honestly like recommend it like do it buy yourself the 10 pound dumbbells get it from whatever go on youtube yeah. watch some videos that's like, what i do yeah. i and i have like a library like a playlist of the best workouts so i don't have to keep searching for it right. and it's just so easy and i do the same workouts here i love how resourceful you'll be coming i know this that's what I said. i'm thriving you guys <laughs> i love it let's talk about this week's episode yes it's you know it's a really important conversation we've touched upon this from before we've had other incredible women talk about it either in in, in its entirety or just little snippets today we're doing it again we're talking about postpartum depression and you know our guest who is sada ahmed she's incredible her instagram handle is actually sugarland sada fun fact it's because she's from sugarland Texas. I want to go to Sugarland, Texas. I know it seems amazing. <laughs> it's like it would be really nice, but it's just like it, it was. It was an incredible conversation because obviously of how transparent she is. It's really hard, you guys, to talk about this stuff. And what I want to get at is she's like, I don't want just women who are pregnant or women who already have kids to relate to this. I want people who are never had kids and are about to get married or about to have their own kids and why not to listen to this because I think it's important that everybody kind of benefits from this because 
mental health is super important and it's super important to get the mental health that you need. Obviously, you and I are strong advocates for this. I'm the guinea pig. I actually went and finally seek therapy. I love that you're doing this and I do, inshallah, one day once you're ready to get an update on how that progress is going yeah. and, you know, all that stuff because I think it's incredible that you took that step to not even just better yourself but better your mental health and progress you to move forward. And I think also, you know what I love is that every time I mention it on our on our platform, you know how much it really means to me when it, when other women actually message back or even comment back and they're so open and they say, well, I'm seeking therapy myself or thank you for talking about this. It's really nice to know that you actually have a community that supports you because it's really hard to talk about this stuff. Like, yeah. again, you're trying to overcome this hump that like, you know, the stigma that there's something wrong with you for seeking help and whatnot. But and, yeah. another topic we did talk about with Sara is just the topic of gaslighting, self-gaslighting. You know, we talk about it receiving, being gaslighted by somebody else but sometimes you're actually getting it from your own self I didn't think this was a possibility but as I was reading more about it, and as we were talking about it I was like oh my god it really is something that you can do to yourself and just um for a little you define it yes yeah. as a refresher gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse and manipulation that causes a victim to doubt and question their own reality so you know, a lot of us listening have found ourselves in situations where we thought like, oh my God, am I being gaslighted? Even if we didn't really know like the technical meaning behind the word, we knew what was happening to us. Yeah. Um, and self-gaslighting, I mean, I think that we all do this. Like, I think that it's something that we have kind of embedded. It's that little inner voice in our head that tells us like, oh my God, you're being too dramatic. Oh my God, stop being so sensitive. How many times have we told ourselves, oh no, I'm just being crazy. That's not really what's going on. Or I don't have it as worse as somebody else. Yes. We can't compare struggles, you guys. Like, please, please don't do this. Because I know I find myself doing this too, or I'm I'm comparing my struggle to somebody else. And then I, I dumb mine down. It's like, no, there's a reason why you feel a certain way. And another thing is I, I feel like, when you do share your struggles, like you're always questioning and wondering if the person believes you. Like stop doubting yourself yeah. to that extent. Like this is exactly what you went through. You're being honest. Don't don't feed into that. Don't allow your mind to fester into those type of thoughts. And I think a lot of times when we self-gaslight ourselves, um, it's because we've been victims of it. So mm -hmm. we're just, that's how we're used to hearing people talk about us. So that's how we talk about ourselves. So how do we end the whole self-gaslighting? Yeah, please thing? tell me because I'm doing this to myself Well, this all is the not time. for me. This is something I actually looked up in research. But I think this is where mindfulness comes into play. And we talked about being mindful all 2020. That's like a goal for the year. But when you catch yourself having those thoughts stop and think why am I thinking this whose opinion really is this this is not my opinion I've been fed this opinion by someone else and would you talk to a friend or a loved one the same way you're talking to yourself you know I think it's important to tell yourself my feelings are valid what I'm thinking is valid I'm allowed to feel my feelings a hundred percent so I, I think this was such a great you know little topic that we can have right before our actual big topic with Sada because yeah she did touch upon this self-gaslighting we do it often and you know what's so sad about self-gaslighting is that it deters you from seeking the real help that you yeah. need it really does and i think that's the worst thing that you could do to yourself is knowing that you do need help but you are doubting yourself and just like just yeah being insecure about your situation and your struggle of what you're going through like you don't need that right now you don't feed yourself verbal abuse i really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and i really want to thank you guys for just like you know kind of being with us with this transition because like we said we're only going to release two full episodes a month because again we're going to be covering such like you know huge topics like topics, this yeah. and in-depth topics and we want to give you more resources more information we want to highlight the guests a, a bit more obviously because you know we told this to sada like it takes a lot of strength and just 
courage to be able to share your story, especially a story that still has stigma tied to it. It's not Absolutely. something that people are still like comfortable in talking about and whatnot. Again, when you're a mother, you're you're expected to just flourish in this new identity. That's not always the case. So shout out to all the mothers out there, especially the ones that are, you know, helping their kids with this whole e-learning. Yes. It's, it's a huge yes. curve for teachers too. You know what I mean? So, I mean, my sister, she's an incredible educator, but she's also a mom. So it's yeah. like, it's a lot. There's a lot on everybody's plate right now. And I really hope that inshallah, you can overcome this. We can all overcome this. And again, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much to Sada. While you're listening to the episode, you can check out her Instagram. Like I said, it's Sugarland Sada without an H at the end. It's S-A-R-A. Are you ready to dive in, Zeta? Let's do it. Sada, I've been looking forward to this conversation since our initial phone call, and there's so much to unpack in this episode with mental health and postpartum depression and all the ins and outs. But before we get into that, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself? So my name is Sara Ahmad. I live in Sugarland, Texas. And I'm a writer and content creator slash blogger. And I use my platform to talk about mental health, body positivity, motherhood, and basically um, just living as a Muslim American here in Texas. And uh, it's it's done really well. I have a wonderful, diverse group of uh, women who follow me. And it's been a really wonderful experience to do that. And lately, the more I talk about mental health, the less I feel you know, encumbered by it. I don't feel as ashamed as I did at the beginning. And it's just been a wonderful freeing experience. So I appreciate you guys having me on today and talking about it. Honestly, I know this is going to be a great conversation and you're so right. I feel like the more we talk about mental health and even our own personal experiences with just even just seeking therapy and just helping yourself out when it comes to your mental health, it, it just, it helps you out so much. It's almost like you're removing all this weight off of your shoulders. I mean, it's like we did the hardest step, which is seeking help. But I think the second hardest step is just validating and letting everybody know that I am seeking help. I'm not ashamed that I'm seeking help. And just because you're seeking help doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you I think like we've always said this on this platform you know you go to a doctor to make sure physically you're doing well you go to the dentist to get your teeth checked what about our minds our minds are most powerful parts of our bodies and we never ever get to just go to an actual mental health specialist to make sure that we're doing fine and that we're prepared for the next chapter in our lives and for you you were getting prepared for you know your first pregnancy this was a little over what 12 years ago can you just walk us down that time when you were pregnant for the first time and how you felt? Absolutely. So I got pregnant, I want to say about three and a half years after I was married. My husband and I both decided soon after we got married that we were going to do our master's degree. We were going to travel the world and just, you know, live as a couple. So after we finished our master's, you know, it was time and I got pregnant, alhamdulillah. It happened really, you know, easily for me. I thought this was kind of part of my happily ever after. I was like, this is great. I quit my job, which I really loved, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to devote my entire life to this being. And everything I had understood about motherhood up until that point meant if I had the option to stay at home, I should do it. So there was no real you know, question in my mind of what I would be doing uh, once the baby came. And so I spent the nine months, you know, pretty much uh, doing what most first-time moms do, which is obsessing about the delivery, which is not even an issue, you guys. It happens so fast. It's like, and you know, a blur. It's a blur. <laughs> and it's funny how many months I obsessed about that. And, you know, buying baby stuff and gear and, you know, baby nail cutters and That's so <laughs> all true. the itty-bitty things. <laughs> 
And um, at no point did I give any thought to how I would be doing mentally with this humongous change in my life. So up until that point, everything went great. I had a normal pregnancy. I had the baby showers. My parents were doting. Everybody around me was wonderful. And it was a smooth, smooth pregnancy. And then the baby came, <laughs> my son. And guys, it was honestly, um, I, I hate having to preface this, but it's important, especially for the mothers listening, to know that there was a connection from the get-go. It was immense. There's nothing like seeing your child for the first time. I don't think I've ever had an otherworldly experience quite like that. Like I get goosebumps just thinking about it. When they put that child in your hands and you're thinking for nine months, you're like, what was this baby look like? And the minute you see their face, ladies, it's like in your heart, you just, you're like, this is exactly what you look like. Of course it is. I knew this wow. face. It's mind blowing. Wonderful, wonderful experience. I came home and the first few days, you know, you're just running on adrenaline and uh, you're basically going from a normal life to a 24 hour shift that doesn't really end. And it took me almost about a week to start really having a hard time focusing on being grateful. I was now going, you know, well over a week without any real sleep. I was up every hour and a half feeding, doing the diaper change, doing the, you know, burping, putting the baby back down. And it's like a whole partial that you do every two hours. And um, the thing that nobody really tells you is that for nine months, your entire body, right, creates a ridiculous amount of progesterone and uh, pumps you full of hormones, right? Which is why you have amazing skin, you have great hair, your nails are strong. The second that your baby is born, your body is so incredible. Because it's like, oh, we're, we're done with this. And it stops. And all of a sudden, there's this huge depletia, uh, depletion of hormones that you have now become accustomed to. And the second that happens, and this is true for every woman, whether they feel it severely or they don't, that's a different thing. Everyone has different sensitivities. But your body literally stops producing this ridiculous amount of hormones that you have been accustomed to. And all of a sudden, for a lot of women, you fall into a bit of a slump. And that's what happened to me. And it was, it was a very weird time because I was happy and joyful and then I was terrified and scared. And uh, you cry all the time when you're happy, you're crying hysterically because you're like, I cannot believe that I have this child. And then you're crying all the time because you're like, whose child is this? Why did somebody put me in charge of a human oh baby? Like, where are the adults? This is why I love these conversations because within the five minutes that you've been talking, you already debunked two myths that I had about postpartum depression. One is that typically women who have PDD, or at least in my head, have had like a traumatic pregnancy or a traumatic childbirth. And obviously, like you said, that wasn't the case. It doesn't need to be a traumatic experience from the get-go. Another one is I felt like postpartum depression meant that you didn't have that connection with your child, but you're saying that's not the case. This is why I love having these conversations because I feel like there's so much stigma and so much misinformation around these types of, of mental health issues. And we don't talk about them and we don't clear the air. And I'm, this is why I'm so happy that you're on and you're, you're being so open and honest about it. You're so right, Zina. Are there women who don't feel connection right away? Yes, and it brings them down, yes. But what you're showing us is there's another side to it, yes. that you had a normal pregnancy, that you did ha feel a connection right away. But it's just like, we don't talk often about this identity shift 
this is a huge identity shift. People think that because as women are, some people think that our sole purpose is to have children. So it should come as second nature to us to just give birth to a baby and just be the perfect mother and just now like, you know, enjoy the second part of our lives and just, you know, be so comfortable with it. But it's, this is an identity shift. It's a huge, it's like almost an identity crisis. Were you ever ready for motherhood? Is anyone ever truly ready for motherhood? And if not, does it equate to you never being a good mother? No, it doesn't. How did you feel about that when it, you finally held your baby in your arms and you're like, whoa, this is actually motherhood. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It's interesting because I feel absolutely at that time I was fully prepared for motherhood, but until you have gone through it, you will never be prepared. And this is across the board what most women will universally say that I thought I was ready. I read the books. I, you know, prepped. I did everything I was supposed to. I've been surrounded by babies my whole life. I come from a large family. I helped, you know, with raising my brothers and sisters. I have a maternal nature. I've got this. No. And it's interesting because if you think about it, when a baby is born, the actual birth is quite, I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but it's a traumatic experience for the baby too, right? Because they're going from what they have known for nine months being inside your womb to suddenly being thrust out into this world where it is bright, it is cold, it is unfamiliar. And what happens with mothers, I feel, with the first time you become a mother, it is nothing short of a rebirth. And it is a similar experience where all of a sudden you have been yanked away from everything that you have known and grown accustomed to, and everything is very unfamiliar and scary and you you feel alone you you don't know where you are anymore you're out of that womb that you were in and all of a sudden you have another human being that people have put you in charge of and honestly my husband and I laughed the entire first year because we were like who has made us in charge of this child because they have <laughs> no idea how inapt we are at you know growing this human being but I thought I was ready. Of course I did. And, you know, it's interesting what you were saying. I, I just wanted to go back to that. This idea that you don't have the connection, you absolutely have the connection. But like with everything else in life, you know, um, nothing is an absolute. And I'll give you the perfect example. Let's say you get your dream job right now, right? Let's say I'm writing for Oprah magazine or you guys are creating podcasts for Oprah, okay? Dream job. You are going to love it. It is going to be exhilarating. You are going to be so grateful that you have this opportunity. But if you're working 70 hours a week, it is hard. You are going to cry. You are going to miss the life you had. You're going to be like, what have I done? Like, it's not comfortable growing. It is always a tough situation when you are growing out of the mold that you have created for yourself. So I, I consider it similar to that, you know? I agree with you. And I feel like when people think that, you know, you become a mother, the only thing that changes is just your the, that label that now you're not just, you know, a wife or a sister or whatnot. You're now also a mother. But that's not the only thing that changes once this baby comes into your arms. Everything about your life, every single thing changes about your life. And, you know, oftentimes we don't allow women to grieve who they were because it seems like they were selfish and it seems like they were ungrate they're ungrateful for this blessing that they have in their hands right now because a lot of women you know some cannot even conceive so some people look at them like we'll be grateful that you have a baby you can grieve even though that this new chapter in your life is something to celebrate you can still grieve a celebratory chapter in your life can we talk about just being able to grieve without feeling this weight of ungratefulness or people thinking that or you're guilt. just yeah or guilt yes 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 times a thousand the loss of self is so real. 
it feels like you can taste it in your mouth. The smallest thing, like, hey, ladies, let's go grab coffee after this podcast and go shopping for an hour. That suddenly becomes the most unbelievable thing for you because you're like, wait, I have to take the baby and we're going to have to feed and how are we going to do this at the restaurant? And if I leave the baby at home, what do I do about pumping? And I mean, all of a sudden, it is just a new language that you are learning. And the burden, nobody talks about the burden. I am happy to have had the burden. Of course, I don't want women who don't have children to be listening to this and, and feel that there is this uh, sense of ungratefulness because there isn't. It is a huge, wonderful, the biggest blessing that I have ever been given to have my children. But the burden of being a mother, you guys, will never leave you. From the minute they send you home, you're like, will I ever have that peace of mind? You will not. Because and my mom always says this. She's like, you ladies, you know, because there's three of us sisters and a, I have a brother too. And she's like, you guys are all in your own homes. You're doing great. You're adults. But she's like, I am still worried about you. You know, she's like, I will always be worried. Like, oh no, it's raining outside. Are the kids home? Are they out and about? And so that peace of mind that you have, I mean, maybe it's selfishness, if you will, or just, uh, you know, the protective cocoon that you live in when you're an individual, you never get that again. And so that loss of self is very real. You know, I, I completely agree, even though I don't have kids of my own, but I see the way that my mom is toward me. I'm 27, live miles and miles and miles away from her. And if it's snowing outside and she knows that I'm from South Florida and I don't drive, know how to drive in the snow, she will stay on the phone with me. So I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, once their kid is 18 or once they're married, that's it. No, it's a lifelong thing. Grief can hit you at any point in your life. And like you were saying, like it could be a mother who whose children left the nest and she can be grieving that. She can be grieving that next part of her life like okay my kids have outgrown living with me they're moving on with their own lives this is a part of me that I have to grieve this so I feel like there is a loss I mean yes you gained a beautiful baby and everything like that but there is a loss that needs to be mourned and grieved and I think we suppress that and I think that it's just, it's just it's hard when you're transitioning from this just woman by herself to, to having a baby where you like you said going to the mall becomes a task hanging out with your friends becomes a task it's not like you get a practice baby it's not like you can go and rent a baby and be like okay let me try this out for a month see how it feels no 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 the first time you're trying this out is with your own baby and doing it for the first time but you know I want to talk about just the fact of like you know bringing faith back into this we were raised with the saying is that Jenna lies beneath the feet of your mother and now it's like now you're able to really truly understand this and not because you know you see your own mother you, you start to understand like even dealing with postpartum depression which we're going to get into in a minute just dealing with that and you realize like why Allah truly has said what he said when it comes to just how important our mothers are and it's because of what they go through raising kids you guys I yeah there, there's there's no other way to put it but when I struggled so much that first year of becoming a mom, my mother would always say this to me. She's like, listen, heaven is being created under your feet as you speak. Did you think it would be easy? And I'm like, I don't know, mom, but I'm so sorry for everything. <laughs> I was exactly. like, I'm so sorry for not being as grateful to you as I should have been because I can't imagine how you did this four times with each and every one of me and my siblings. And I'm like, you, see, you don't understand. And I always, I loved my mom. I was always grateful for her. But the way that I understood and appreciated her after having raised a baby, it's it's mind blowing. And you're right, because this idea that, you know, Jeanette lies under the mother's feet, it's not easy. 
And think about it. You know, it's that hadith about Prophet that somebody had asked him, who is the most important person? I'm not saying this perfectly, so, That's so please don't cringe if you're a scholar. But the idea was somebody asked, you know, who's the most important person? His answer had been your mother. And then the person said, who's the second most important? And the prophet said, your mother. Then the person said, who is the third most important person? And the prophet replied again, your mother. And it was on the fourth time that he says, your father. What a huge, huge place of stature to give to the mother in Islam. It's, it's quite chilling to me. It's like that for a reason. And you really do understand it once you've gone through the experience of childbirth, because you don't know the sacrifices that every single one of the women that you see raising children make. It's, you know, on the outside, it's an ordinary experience. Everyone has babies. Everyone goes out and, you know, raises families. But when it comes down to it and you actually have to do it, it's quite phenomenal how we're able to do something like this so nonchalantly, you know? On the phone, Sada, you explained how you said when you had your baby, it felt like now your heart was living outside of you. Can you explain that a little bit further? And I lived, I think, on the cusp of tearfulness for so long because my entire livelihood, everything that was going to give me peace or ease or happiness was in this tiny little seven pound child. You know, when I would get up at night and I would be like, oh my gosh, she's got a wet diaper and, you know, I slept through it and... He must be freezing and how how horrible. The the pain you felt was just, it's visceral, you know? It, it It's difficult to identify it outside of your own body. And this is how I say that motherhood really is. It's, it's as if your children are part of your body, they're limbs, you know? They're my arms, they're my legs. So it's hard to disconnect them from my own being. And so the idea that so much of your well-being is now connected to another individual, is it's, it's a scary thing. It truly it, is. Th- it sounds scary, but it also sounds like such a blessing. SubhanAllah. I want to talk about your first bouts of anxiety and depression. What were you going through at those moments? And how soon after the birth did you start experiencing those feelings? So I think I was definitely having anxiety pretty much from the time we got home. But I didn't know it. You know, I, it's normal stuff. Everyone laughs at you when you're checking the baby, if they're breathing while they're napping right next to you. And your friends giggle and your parents laugh. They're like, oh, this is all normal. But when I really, just to be completely candid, I did not throughout my entire postpartum depression experience have any idea that this is what I was going through. Okay, so when I look back, I can say, oh, yeah, these were definitely things that clearly were not normal. But at the time, you couldn't have told me that this is not normal and maybe you should get help because it's similar to what you guys had said earlier, where I thought if I haven't had any trauma leading up to this and I'm not having any scary thoughts about hurting myself or my baby, then I'm good, right? Like, alhamdulillah, I am good. I'm not having depression. But the symptoms, if you know, you want to know, they vary from woman to woman, okay? So you're going to have different things. For example, not being able to shower for days because there's no point in showering anymore. You're obviously having a lack of sleep. You're not eating very well. Maybe you're eating, you know, kind of haphazardly whenever the mood strikes, but you're not having meals. You're not engaging with the rest of the world. You know, you really do go into your own cocoon. Again, those things are supposed to be all normal, but then there's a version of it that comes in that suddenly doesn't feel normal. And what I mean by that is, let's say at the three-month mark, three, four, five-month mark, if you're still home all day long in your pajamas, 
something's not right. If you're still crying violently over the smallest things, like, oh my gosh, I didn't burp him afterwards, I forgot, and he now spit up all his food, and I just wasted that entire you know, feeding session because I forgot to burp him. And you're hysterically crying because you are just the worst mom in the world, or you are hysterically crying because you are looking out the window and seeing the world go by, and you suddenly feel like you've been buried into this house, and it suddenly is one of those things that's no longer touchable. And when your friends call you out and say, let's go out for dinner, let's do this, it's almost too much effort to pretend to be happy and normal. So it's easier to just sidestep them and be like, I'm so sorry, I'm busy with the baby, and oh, my husband can't watch the baby, he's got work tonight, another time. So you kind of become a lot more isolated. And I think one of the biggest things of depression for me has to be that you really fall into yourself. When you are more keen on spending time thinking on your own and festering thoughts that are probably not productive for you, but you prefer that to going and seeing your best friends who you haven't seen in three weeks because it hurts so much to see the life you had. Again, it's that almost that it was a form of warning, right? Like you're seeing them and they don't have children yet. And they're like, oh my gosh, I went to the mall and I got this great outfit and we're going to do a picnic. Are you guys going to come to the picnic this weekend? And you're like... I can't go to a park. Where am I going to feed my baby? Where am I going to change his diaper? So you're just, you feel so far from the life you had. And I think it was that disconnect from everything that was ordinary before. That I think was probably the biggest indicator that I was in a bit of a depressive funk. So Sada, did you, because when it comes to Western societies, I don't think they're like the Eastern societies where, you know, once a woman has a baby, she, you know, her mom flies in and takes care of her for the, you know, the first month or so or something like that. Did you live near any of your family members? Were they able to come through and help you out? Or did you feel like you were like kind of left all on your own? Not on purpose, of course, again, sometimes because of distance in certain life situations. No, my mom actually lived like 20 minutes away from me. But she worked full time. She worked for the city of Houston at that time. And uh, I I do remember at some point being pretty impossible and being like, Mom, just quit your job. I had a baby, (laughs) for God's sake. Uh, But, you know, uh, she would come and she would do so much. She cooked for me, I think, for the first three, four months. I don't think I went anywhere near a stove. So I had all the support. On weekends, my mom would actually take the baby home for the night. And she would be like, you know what? Get a good night's sleep. And I would be like, I cannot wait. This is going to be incredible. And the minute the baby was gone, my anxiety would kick in. And I would be like, what if she forgets to burp him and he chokes and dies? Oh, my gosh, what if she forgets to feed him? What if she forgets to change his diaper because she can't smell it? What if this? What if that? And I never would get peace. Yet I would look forward to having him be taken from me for a while so that somebody else could be responsible. But I never quite felt freed. And these are all parts of, you know, anxiety and depression that, that, you know, just kind of are conjoined. But again, nothing that most women don't encounter to some uh, level. It's just how extreme the level is for you specifically, which is why it's a difficult thing to, you know, try and diagnose somebody with depression, especially if you're not a professional. I wouldn't recommend that. But um, most women have that anxiety about anyone else having their baby, even if it's their own mother. But if it's to the extent where you are trying to sleep at night and breaking out into a sweat and crying hysterically because you're like, I think I failed my baby and he's probably not going to be 
there when I go tomorrow morning because nobody else can keep him alive except for me because it is such a huge task. It's overwhelming. It's exhausting too, you guys. It's truly exhausting for that to be on your mind all the time. You know, and I feel like it's so easy to feel alone in those moments because, I mean, you go on Instagram and all these bloggers have these picture-perfect photo shoots with their babies and they make it look so easy. And then you're having these thoughts thinking, why isn't that coming as easy to me as it is to them? What were you thinking in your mind as these thoughts are going off in the back of your mind? What are you focused on? Are you telling yourself, I am depressed? Or are you writing it off as these are just normal feelings? We didn't have Instagram. Well, I mean, I'm sure we did, but you know, to this extent, you didn't really have even the maternal health resources. When I went for my six week checkup to my OBGYN after having the baby, she very specifically asked one question, one question alone about depression, which was, are you having thoughts about hurting yourself or the baby? And I was like, uh, absolutely not. And I was like, this is a trick question. She wants to like report me or something. And I was like, I'm really not. And it was such a scary thing to even be asked. And she was like, okay, great. That's wonderful to hear. And so then I completely dismissed it. And around that time, I don't know if you guys knew the story. It happened in Texas, which is why it was a big deal back then. But there was this woman, Andrea Yates, and she was famously um, known for unfortunately drowning her five children because she was in a psychosis state of postpartum depression. And she literally had five kids back to back to back to back and she never got help. And so that was a very terrifying and uh, shocking thing. I remember talking to friends about it and just how can somebody do that? And I can't imagine this happening. And so that for me at that time, 12 years ago, was the definition of postpartum depression, was somebody who's going to take their children and you know, do something horrible to them. When I realized that's obviously not anywhere near what I want to have, you know, to do, It was so easy to dismiss the idea that I'm depressed. What I did do is I spent that entire first year uh, with postpartum depression thinking that if I lost the baby weight, you guys, it was going to be fine. And I was like, I don't want to go out because I haven't lost the baby weight. And I don't want to really shower because I haven't lost the baby weight. And I don't want to really interact with the world because I haven't lost the baby weight. It was ridiculous when I look back at it. I'm like, how could I have thought something so ridiculous was controlling all the joy and happiness in my life? And that's how I reasoned with it. Everyone will have their own idea. And, you know, some of it was the fact that if my mom wasn't working and she was with me seven days a week, it would be easier. So you come up with a million excuses, you guys, to explain away how you're feeling. But so much of it for me had to do with the baby weight. <laughs> It was just you covering up for what, how you were truly feeling. Because again, we're not professionals. Even even if this is our own mind, our own feelings, and and that we're conjuring, you know, conjuring up. But at the same time, we're not professionals. And you know what? We do compare ourselves, even when we're at our lowest point in our lives. We still think we're not at the lowest of the low. So I can't have depression because I'm in love with my child. I would never harm my child, so I'm not depressed. But it had it had nothing more so to do with harming your child, but more so just you and your mind and how you were reacting to things and how you felt like you said even on the phone that you had like you felt like you had a huge mountain sitting on your heart. That's just not something that you can, you know, go about your day if you feel like this heaviness just sitting on your heart and you can't do anything about it. You even confided to your mom 
and you told us she said something interesting she's you you told her about your feelings and stuff like that and she's like what we don't we didn't have that back then can you talk about that totally and she and you know my mom's had four kids my grandmother's had you know six we come from large families and i was like mom you know when i finally did years later be like i think i had depression and she's like i don't know we didn't have that back then and i was like mom it's not something that was just made up now yeah. and <laughs> And, you know, she said this with a lot of love and care. It wasn't her trying to be dismissive by any means. It was a difficult thing for her to wrap her mind around because, again, you know, in, in her reality, when she was having kids, all the women, all the women who had babies were at home. So you did have a different type of village where everyone did the same thing, but your mother, your mother-in-law, everybody was there. And you were in, you know... Uh, Pakistan, another world country, you know, third world country where you could have a lot of help. It wasn't um, where you had to worry about dinner because you were most likely living in a joint family where your mother-in-law or the cook was going to take care of that stuff. So it was a different thing. I'm not saying that those things, you know, play a huge role, but I will say with postpartum depression, one of the biggest key elements is the isolation. And when you are living with a lot of people, I'm sure it can help curb it. I'm not saying that it dismisses the notion completely, but for her, she was like, I didn't have time for any of that. I was living in a joint house with, you know, your parent, uh, my husband and his parents and his three brothers and his sister. So we didn't have time for any of that. That's crazy. <laughs> it's just like when it comes to just honestly seeking help in general, Sada, because again, you had your first baby 12 years ago. We're talking about mental health in a little bit more of a comfortable manner now. And this is, you know, 12 years later. And I feel like, and this is something that just like boggles my mind is like, why don't we talk about postpartum depression if childbirth slash pregnancy is so common? If, if people think that that's the next step in a woman's life after she gets married is having a child. If that's so common, then why not, you know, just the act of seeking help being so common? So when did you decide to finally, like, not put a stop to this, but one, wanting to really understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling? It really happened when I was pregnant with my second child. This was um, five years later, so about seven years ago. And so much had changed in the landscape of maternal mental health. All of a sudden, I knew more. It was all over social media. It was written into storylines in movies and, you know, sitcoms. Postpartum depression was suddenly something that was normal. And over the years, as I had been exposed to it more and more, I kept seeing pieces of it that I recognized. I was like, I know this girl, like that, that was me. Whenever I tried to think about how did I get out of it? I was like, just time, I suppose. So I became very cognizant of the idea that I probably was, depressed after having my first son and I just never got help for it or was diagnosed with it. So when I was pregnant with my second son, I was very cognizant of this idea that there was going to be this huge hormonal upheaval, which clearly my body was sensitive to. And so I wanted to make sure that if I started having the same feelings again, I was going to be very proactive about getting help for it. And I think that made all the difference. And I did. Soon after I had my second son, you know, it was some of the similar roller coasters where I was super happy and crying and super sad and crying and lots of crying, you guys. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give my body four to six weeks to kind of settle, you know, down. And if it's not better, I think I'm going to go see a professional. And at that point, the stigma was still really, really strong for me. But I kept thinking to myself, it's a medical professional, like, why do I feel so guilty and scared about going to a doctor, you know? So I did. I went and I saw a psychiatrist. 
he immediately was like, yeah, you definitely have some postpartum depression. He was like, I'm going to put you on antidepressants. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, what else can we do? I was like, let's, let's figure out, you know. And it was interesting because I still had so much bias about getting on antidepressants. And I was like, is this going to be habit forming? Am I going to become a junkie? Like, and he was, he was like, I don't understand why you're so scared. He's like, there's nothing habit forming about antidepressants. It's the lowest dose, but he's like, there's a chemical imbalance. And I love the psychiatrist I went to because he did a ton of blood work on me and he showed me results. So I could, you know, see tangible things that were lacking in, in my body at that time, such as vitamin D. I had a severe vitamin D deficiency. And he's like, this is pretty important for happiness, you know? Oh, wow. I didn't know this. So it was it was wonderful. But he really had to talk me into getting on antidepressants. And then I remember I went for my one-month checkup, and I was like, you know what? Nothing magically changed, ladies. It's not like I was suddenly skipping and, you know, singing rainbows. It wasn't like that. But the feeling of that mountain on my chest wasn't a mountain anymore. It was maybe a small hill. And even that was only sometimes. So it suddenly felt more manageable. So there's nothing like a magical cure that's going to suddenly change and fix you, but it helps take a little bit of the burden off so you can have some control in fighting the things that you know do, do surface. And so I went back the first month and I was like, okay, I think I'm doing great. Let's get off of medication. And he was like, listen, <laughs> how about we stay on it for about six months? But it was interesting to me because I had so many personal feelings and shame about being on medication. And it took me a really quite a while to tell my mom this because I was like, oh, because it almost felt like you could not then be held responsible for your happiness because there was a magic pill that was making you feel that way. But I'll say this to all of my you know, friends or people who reach out to me about <clears throat> medication it is not a magical pill, you know? And if somebody is giving you a magical pill, don't go to them anymore because that is not how it's supposed to be. Um, It's a very small, you know, gradual change. And so much of it has to do with you also being very, very proactive and getting your exercise in, forcing yourself to get up and brush your teeth every day, even though you're like, what's the point? I'm not seeing any human beings today except for the baby. And, you know, there's, it's, it's a struggle, but it's a process that you go through to try and make sure that the medicine helps you. And yeah, sorry, I rambled for a minute. (laughs) No, that was, that was so perfect. I feel like fortunately our community is getting better at seeking help, but unfortunately we're not really there yet, especially when it comes to seeking out therapy, there's still that stigma that exists and you know, add on medication, that's a whole nother thing. So I don't blame you for being hesitant about being on this. And I'm, I'm really happy that you mentioned the chemical imbalance. That's something tangible that we can see, okay, there is something wrong, there is something that is there is something that I can correct by taking this medication. And I feel like if more people were open about their journey with antidepressants, or whatever it may be, I feel like we would we would see our community's mental health state rise tremendously. It would be thriving. But that's a great point because, you know, when you said something about the chemical imbalance, like people think that mothers seek help because they're just sad to be a mom. It's way more complex than that. It's deeper than that. It is the chemical imbalance. It is just more than just you grieving the fact that you're a mom. The thing is, I kind of also want to go back to just how you opened up to your mom because like Zaina said, 
this we come from a community you know you're pakistani we're palestinian we come from different communities but majority of like our communities are are still against that not against the idea but they're not so welcoming of the idea of just I like i don't think it's not welcoming i think they're misinformed yeah misinformed yeah. exactly because you know when you're seeking help they assume right away you're crazy it's not that so it's how did you have that conversation with your mom because i know a lot of people that are probably listening are in uh, you know they're taking the next steps of seeking therapy seeking help but they don't know how to have these conversations with their parents how should they go about having these conversations so i know every parent is different i know every parent child relationship is different but the reason i had to do it was i had to and again i didn't do it right away it's not like i went to the psychiatrist got on medication and immediately you know told my mom these are all baby steps. I got the prescription, ladies, just so you know, and I held on to it for about two, three weeks before I even started taking it. Because I was like, I have it at home, but I'm feeling better already just by seeing the psychiatrist. So I really did try to, you know, reason my way out of it. Uh, after I took it for a few months and I could see, and it's not an overnight thing, it takes easily, you know, four to six weeks for any medication to start making a difference. When I started feeling like it actually made a huge difference, I needed to explain to my mom why I had been the way I was. Meaning when I wasn't happy, when I could not fake it, I would kind of disappear, you know? And a lot of times I would be very stressed. And I, I don't know if this is true for many women, but for me, this fear and uncertainty would come out in anger. And so I was very snappish, you know? And it's fine, I can do it. No, stop asking me, I'm good, I'm good. And I wasn't always very kind. And I was just short-tempered a lot. And I think that anger just comes from not having control of your emotions, which is something I learned about in therapy, but we haven't talked about that yet. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll skip that for now. But when I did sit down with her, you know, I was like, look, mom, I know you know that I've been, you know, kind of up and down and I'm trying to, you know, sort it for myself. But you should know that one of the things that I've realized is that, I've had postpartum depression. Maybe I have a lifelong history with maybe having some version of depression. And, you know, my mom's reaction was, oh, no, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was just so, she was such a typical Pakistani mom. And she was just like, you should pray more. That was her first thing. And I was like, I know, mom. I was like, you're right. I should pray more. I was like, because the spiritual aspect is important. But I was like, you have to understand, I can't pray when I can't get myself to brush my teeth. I was like, you're asking a lot when I haven't been able to even make my beloved coffee in the morning. <laughs> yeah. um, you cannot expect me to go and do Bazu and get up in front of Allah and do this. And uh, we talked about it and she did not completely understand, ladies. You should know, even when I had written this article for Huffington Post, you know, it was a little uncomfortable for them. They were like, really, you're going to tell everyone? And I was like, look, mom, somebody has to do it. I was like, I, why can't I find another Pakistani or Muslim woman who can say, this is my experience with postpartum depression. And you know what? Maybe even lifelong depression. And it's okay. I can still have a fulfilled and happy life and love my children. So it's still something that was, you know, not still to this day, a little, you know, uncomfortable for them. Um, they would much rather I be doing something that's not so personal and, you know, feels uh, very vulnerable. But when we had that conversation, the wonderful thing was she didn't understand it but she didn't reject it. She stuck to the idea of, I don't know, we just didn't have it back then, you know? She's like, you know, this idea that just because you haven't been exposed to it or people weren't talking about it, doesn't mean it wasn't there. And I gave her some examples of family members who I was like, you do know that, you know, X, Y, Z probably could benefit from getting mental health because look at the way that they behave with these weird things, you know? 
And she was like, oh, is that what it is? She's like, I always thought they were just very eccentric. And you'll see aunties at the mosques, right? Like if you go to the mosque and there'll be aunties who are just angry and yelling at the kids. And they're like, don't do this, don't do that. And sometimes you have to almost wonder, like, you don't know if they're struggling from something and taking it out in a different way. So having my mom be kind of open to this idea, even though she didn't fully understand it, it was just, it was comforting. And even though I didn't get, you know, the big embrace or the, you know, the American response, like, oh no, we are going to do everything we can. She, of course, was like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to do everything I can. I'll take the baby as much as you want. But knowing that she knew was such an immense relief, you guys, because there's something to be said about the shame of keeping something inside. It really does fester and you feel like you're living a double life. I'm not saying you need to go and proclaim to everyone like, hey, bake teller, I have depression. But to be able to tell the people that care and love about you that I struggle with this and I struggle with this sometimes a lot and sometimes very little, but you should know that this is kind of a battle that I have. It's freeing. It's such a liberating thing to just be able to put it out there, like your biggest, scariest, you know, ugliest secret, if you will. And to, to do that with my mom was just, it was liberating. It really did free up a lot of the stigma for me personally. I feel like once you acknowledge it and you tell the people you're close to, you tell people you love, you're kind of destigmatizing it in your own mind. And I feel like that, I mean, would you agree? Would it, did it help your process of healing and getting back on your mental health track? Did it make that easier once you've told your mom, said, you know what, I'm, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm on. How did that impact your mental health? It was wonderful to be able to tell her. And after I told her, I started talking to friends. First, I just talked about it with friends who were American. And um, I knew that they would be a little bit more receptive to it. And then when I did start talking about it over the last several years with close friends and family members, it's always wonderful. What happens is over time, when you speak about something over and over again, it's very therapeutic, in fact. And this is kind of what happens in therapy, letting out your deepest, darkest, you know, um, shameful things, uh, it frees you. And so to be able to do that with the people I knew and loved and to not feel hindered by the idea that they're going to think I'm a crappy mom, it was wonderful. I felt uh, relief, if you will. And it was part of therapy, I think, for me to almost out myself to the, those closest to me, you know? My husband was always really supportive from the beginning. The first time I went to a psychiatrist, he was like, okay, this makes sense. Like, let's have you go. As I continued and I started going to therapy, which is a different part of uh, getting help, I took him with me, you know? I took him with me to an appointment. And that was really critical, you guys. When, you know, if you're trying to go and do something very difficult like this, if you're not married, take your parents, take a friend, take your spouse if you can. And it was so wonderful to sit there and be able to talk to a professional about what I was struggling with and to have them really not validate your feelings because really you should be doing that for yourself. But, you know, you're in therapy, so it's, it's a process. But to be able to at least give some definition to what this ambiguous, weird blob of feeling is that you've been experiencing for so long. You know, I think we talked about this, we gaslight ourselves so much. So this 
you know, validation from our therapist is a huge thing. It's, it's actually a big deal for us. Like when it comes to my sessions with my therapist and when she validates my feelings or tells me you have every right to, to feel the way you felt or to react the way you reacted and stuff like that, I needed that validation. I needed to hear that because throughout my life, it was my inner voice in my head telling me you were wrong, you should have done this, you're stronger than this, blah, 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 all that stuff. So to have somebody listen to your story and for you to not leave anything out of it, because again, this is somebody that you truly trust and you're telling them your stories and you know with confidentiality and everything like that it just it really helps it really takes a lot of the weight off of your shoulders and like you said it takes that mountain off of your heart and it does feel like a little hill like you said at times but alhamdulillah I can't stress enough how important it is to seek therapy and you mentioned on the phone how you know you're a strong advocate for us to seek therapy when we're in a good headspace you know when I made my first phone call to the doctor. I mean, it was a little bit traumatic. I couldn't even make out the words because I don't know what it was, Sada. I don't know if it was I didn't want to admit that I was depressed because I was like, I can't be depressed. Or I was very fearful of what the next steps are. What does this mean? Like, it's, I get a little emotional talking about it now, but it was hard because when, when you're on the phone with your doctor and you can't even say the word depressed without choking up, right away she called me into her office and right away you know we figured out what the next steps are and I think the scariest part was just picking up the phone after that everything alhamdulillah has just come with such ease and 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 I just got lucky with such a an amazing therapist who truly understands me and I was somebody who was always just like she she has to be brown she has to come from you know similar cultural background or she's not going to understand my situation because majority of my trauma kind of stems from how we're raised culturally and stuff like that and whatnot but she's a white woman and she truly understands me and validates my feelings and she kind of challenges me and challenges my thoughts and I absolutely love it but I do want to circle back to just how important it is to not wait to seek therapy to not wait for that breaking point where you can't even say the word depressed on the phone with your doctor where you can just you know have a have a clear mind clear conscience, and let, let the doctors know like hey I'm ready to seek therapy what are my next steps Absolutely. And you know, for a lot of people, the first step of seeing a psychiatrist might be too daunting because you're going to see so the way that the American you know, medical system works is you're going to go see a psychiatrist. Maybe the first time you see them, you'll have a 30, 45 minute chat. And after that, it's going to be quick 15 minute medication appointments where they're just checking how you're doing. They're going to alter your medicine, maybe increase it, decrease it, change it, whatever. So it's really just the medical portion of it. Any good psychiatrist will tell you, you have to go to a therapist. And so the thing that I always like to really push on to people is everyone needs to go to a therapist. Everyone can benefit from therapy. I love that you brought this back up because I am such a firm believer that you don't wait until you're in crisis mode. And it's a perfect example. We all have car insurance. Knock on wood, mashallah, I've never had a car accident, ladies. But if I get into a car accident and I'm calling somebody at that time to be like, hey, can you insure me um, as of yesterday? Yeah. It's too late. It's too late. And most of the time, it's not going to be helpful. So to be able to establish, same thing with a doctor, right? Like if you break your arm, if you have a general physician that you already go to, they'll see you right away. They'll be like, oh, oh we got to get you in a cast. If you've never been to this doctor before, they're going to be like, sure, fill out this paperwork and we can see you in about three and a half weeks. Sorry, you're having an emergency, but you're not an established patient. So I genuinely think every single person should find a therapist, a good one if they can, and have an appointment when things are great. I have been seeing, um, you know, my therapist and during this quarantine. And it's funny because the last appointment we had, 
He was like, how's everything going? And I was like, you know what? Everything's great. I really don't have anything to say. And mm -hmm. He was like, that's amazing. And I was like, I just wanted to touch base because you are the expert here. And I just wanted to make sure that we set a pinpoint for how I am right now, because I don't know how long it's going to last. And being able to go to somebody that you already have established yourself with in crisis mode is the best thing you can do for yourself, you know, um, and exactly what you were saying, you know, when you're on the phone and you can't even say, I think I'm depressed without crying, you clearly know something's wrong, but you're in such a hard and difficult place at that time and already very vulnerable. You know, I always describe it as I feel like I'm covered in paper cuts and everything hurts. Like you can't touch me. You can't talk to me. In a, you know, everything is so sensitive. And so to be able to go to somebody who's already established a baseline with you is immeasurable when it comes down to a difficult situation. And the thing is, I feel like some people are fearful because they might be like, yeah, I don't want to take antidepressants. Like how you were thinking too, Sada, like, oh, I'm going to be addicted to it and everything like that. And you, you already debunked that myth for us on here as well. I'm somebody who's seeking therapy and the doctor introduced antidepressants and I was like, I'd rather wait and really see how I, how, you know, how things go with the therapy sessions. Alhamdulillah, they were going good. And so far I don't feel like I need the antidepressants or anything like that. But I want to say there's two sides of the coin. So it's like, you know, I used to be very closed minded and I was like, oh my God, medication like that. Just like, yeah, you're going to have to, you know, kind of live your life, like being very dependent on it, but it's, that's not how it is. So you get to see how, you know, Sada is seeking therapy and what's helping her out. And then you get to see me and what's helping me out during my therapy sessions. So again, it's unique for everyone. So don't be so fearful. Don't assume certain things about therapy or seeking help in general. You know, the next thing I want to talk about is just our bodies and how us women, you know, especially in today's day and age, it's always a topic of conversation. If you're not modest enough, if you're too modest, if you're this, if you're that, I feel like we're just judged and critiqued so much. And you even mentioned that there are certain things you stopped yourself from doing because you felt like you still had the baby weight. And it's like you wait on certain things because of your weight. And it's, it's so mind-boggling that we do live that way and I and I think it is because of societal pressure but can we discuss just the idea and the topic of our bodies and how you know it's a journey to to find yourself back to you know finding yourself like loving yourself and loving who you are especially after having a baby too absolutely uh, I think it's uh, really it's shameful how much of the way we look plays into our psyche as women specifically because I will tell you this men do not have it as bad as women do and what I mean by that is if we're all going out for uh, dinner we're all going to get dressed up for each other we need to make sure and these are people that you love and care about and are going to make an effort to spend time with they don't care what you look like it means nothing to them but you're gonna dress up and you're gonna try because everyone's dressed up and the pictures have to look good Men are not like that. Men don't have that. You know, same thing goes with the professional, you know, in, in the workplace. If you are dressed nice, if you've got your hair colored, if you've got makeup on, if you don't wear makeup, everyone's going to ask, are you sick today? There's so much pressure put on the way we look. And I think it really devalues the internal growth that we need to be focused on. You know, I'm 41, ladies. So I have gone through that phase of my 20s and 30s of constantly, and it's funny because the minute you get married, you don't worry about the opposite sex anymore. You worry about the women. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you are now not trying to please them and keep up with them. And look how great she looks. She has three kids, mashallah. Why can't I look like that, you guys? 
you absolutely have no business comparing yourself to anyone else. And think about it, you know, if we're talking about it from a spiritual point of view, on the day of judgment, when you stand in front of God, nothing about the way that you looked physically is going to take part in, you know, what happens that day. But yet we are so, so, so pressed to look good. And for whom? The most liberating thing that happened to me was in my late 30s, just this idea, I've always been plus size, guys, and I've always been so uncomfortable with it because, you know, in our culture, there's nothing worse for a woman to be than to be fat, you know? And I have fought it and I have tried to get rid of it, you guys. And at some point, I have to come to the terms with the fact that I will never be a slim woman. And how can I find joy with my reality without constantly having to appease everyone else who wants to see me talk about how I'm on a diet because that makes them feel more comfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, you, you must be doing something, right? Or, you know, the aunties who are going to be so helpful and kind and give you all these suggestions. Oh, um, God. <laughs> side eye. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm blessed with a husband who loves me and he loves everything about me and he could care less. And I have friends who, again, it brings them no value how much I weigh or how, you know, I color my hair or whether I do my eyebrows. So the idea of this body image and the way that we look, when you let go of that and suddenly come to terms with this idea that I was saying earlier, then I kind of got off track, but you are not put on this earth for, uh, for men's approval to, find, to have men find you attractive. You are not put on this earth to make other women jealous. You are put on this earth to fulfill your own mission and the way you look is the least interesting thing about you. It is the least interesting thing. And for anyone in my life who has ever, ever, and again, this is not something that has happened very much, to be honest, but who is coming up to you because you're cute. And you know what? I want to be friends with her because she's dressed so trendy. That is not going to be the person that I'm going to want in my life because it's going to be the person who's like, I love her soul. She's generous. Or look how kind she was to that old lady over there. You know what? I definitely want to talk to her. And just between us, it happens all the time. I will go to events, right? I'm a blogger. I go to events all the time. People will be very dismissive of even trying to talk to me and get to know me. And I don't let it bother me anymore. I am always happy in the space I'm in and the people that I'm taking company with. And it's funny because whenever they find out I'm a writer for Pop Sugar or that there's something that's suddenly interesting to them, they will approach me and suddenly be like, hey, let's change num you know, trade numbers. What's your handle? What's this? And you're like, I'm grateful for Allah for putting this almost filter uh, around yeah. me so that I don't fall for that. You know, I don't. And I see this with women who are super attractive and super and, you know, they have a swarm of people around them all the time. Plus, if that's their life, wonderful for them. But I am grateful for the fact that people take time to get to know me and know what my worth is outside of the way I look. When it comes to identities, though, like, you know, I, I want your take on this, Sada. Like, are we against being labeled by our weight? Because we see this. We see, you know, when it comes to modeling shows or stuff like that, plus size model. Is it necessary to place that label plus size? Can we just all just... You know, just be considered whoever's a model, not all of us, but be considered just, oh, here's a model. She's modeling for whatever brand it might be. Does their weight have to be a part of their identity? Or should we own that and be like, yes, I am plus size. I am happy. But does it have to be included in our identity or in our labels? Or how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, not at all, which is why if you notice on my bio on Instagram, I don't put plus size advocate. I said body positivity because the idea is why do I have to label myself as this? Yes, I mean, at some point in the 90s, would it have been nice if I could have been labeled as a waif? Sure, you know, I would have been all over that, but it didn't happen. And you grow and learn from this. I don't understand why women are always subject to so much external opinions about their body and their weight. Men are not subject to this. And I'm always so furious. I'll give you the perfect example. I don't know if you've seen recently, you know, uh, Adele, right? Yes, singer. yes. She's lost all this weight and people have all this opinion about her. And I'm like, you know what? Why is it that whether she's plus size or she's now super skinny, why is it up for discussion? Why is a woman's body and the weight that she carries public opinion. I don't understand that. And there's very few women who can transcend that. I'll give you the perfect example of, um, you know, Oprah is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> she transcends that, right? Like nobody's thinking like, oh, Oprah needs to be attractive or she needs to be, you know, fashionable or she needs to be skinny. But it's so hard for the average woman to do that. And what I am trying to do, even with the blogger, you know, stuff that I'm doing, I needed to be able to be bold and vulnerable enough to say I can take up space and I can actually have a very uh, lucrative business as a content creator without fitting the norms of being white, blonde, skinny, fun party girl, you know, who's going to be posting with all her friends or, you know, the fashion blogger. And I was like, it's important to be able to find a space where there's substance and it's not a, you know, unscary place to be. It's actually a very terrifying place to be. But you take that stand. I mean, same thing with what you guys are doing, right? You're working to advocate for all these different topics that are very undiscussed in our culture. And you're taking up a space which makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But if you don't do it, who will? Exactly. Exactly. Like you said, like who, if we don't do it, who will? And I feel like you're a prime example of that talking about mental health, talking about postpartum depression, talking about body positivity. I wish I had someone talk to me when I was like 11, 12, starting puberty, my body changing, being bigger than, you know, I got my period at 11. I was flourishing fully developed yeah Yeah. and like I was you know more developed than my classmates I wish someone would have told me like hey like it's okay that your body is growing it's okay that you're you know maybe a little taller maybe you're a little bigger than your friends like I wish I had that role model in my life and the fact that you're doing that as well as so many other women on Instagram and on social media I feel like you're making it easier for generations to come and inshallah we can like squash that that whole myth that you have to be skinny and tall and whatever to be considered pretty and beautiful. I want listeners to know these are hard conversations to have and for us to be the face of these conversations and to have guests come on and say their stories it's not easy. Maybe the words are you know falling out of your lips easily but it's not easy to scary place to be to just open up and let people know that you went through postpartum depression you seeked help you're on antidepressants it's not easy but the thing is we're okay with that we're okay with you know kind of delving into this taboo world but if if only we know that for a fact it's going to help future generations to come and honestly that's all that matters like the whole purpose of creating this podcast the whole purpose of you having your you know you being a content creator and having your own blog and stuff like that is to help other women out there who need the guidance 
guidance, who don't have a support system. I think all three of us were grateful we had our own support systems. We had mothers who were incredible, who were there for us, you know. Are there any final words that you want to leave us off with, uh, Sara? Especially because, you know, we're still dealing with COVID. A lot of our lives are kind of like all over the place. You know, you left us with some uplifting words last time we were on the phone. And I would love for you to just share this with everybody else that's listening right now. Absolutely. Look, there's a lot of baggage that all of us carry, okay? If I wanted to sit here and tell you about all the horrible things that have happened in my life, we could definitely do like a seven-part saga um, (laughs) on that. (laughs) But um, the ability to forgive and move on is a gift that you give to yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. I'll say that one more time. The ability to forgive and move on is a gift that you give to yourself. So whether we're talking about forgiving somebody else, forgiving ourselves, and really just finding grace. And what I mean by grace is finding a place of acceptance. I'm going to find kindness and grace for where I am today, for the body that has nourished me and gotten me to this point in my life. And when we're talking about quarantine and you know, being isolated and just having your whole world turn upside down, That is, I think, the biggest thing I can tell everyone. Please practice kindness for yourself. And that means it's okay if you haven't cooked for six days and you forgot to do the dishes and, you know, you're just not being able to keep up with everything. I think there's this really bizarre gung-ho version of how we should all be, like, super productive right now and be doing all the things that we, you know, wanted to do but never had time to do. Forget all that. We are living through a pandemic that we have never, ever, ever you know, lived through before. Nobody alive has lived through something like this before. So being able to just say, this is where I am today and I'm going to be okay with it. And taking that pressure off to be extra productive or extra, you know, enthusiastic or um, extra ambitious. It's fine. Right now we're all just in a state of waiting. And so wait. And while you're doing that, if you can foster some kindness for yourself, because there's no way you can foster that for other people. You cannot be kind and gracious to others until you have that for yourself. And so if we can just speak a little bit nicer to ourselves, to our, you know, when we're having thoughts and uh, anxieties or even just worry about the future, focus on controlling the things that you can, which is your thought process, not necessarily the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, because we're definitely not in control so of that. Over it. <laughs> we're all over for sure. Like, I'm just, I mean, that's like when I had my breakdown. I was like, I can't deal with this at yeah. all. I mean, this is the first time we're all dealing with certain things. And the thing is, it's like you actually have to come face to face with things that you've been suppressing for so long. So, this was a hard time for a lot of people. So, the most important thing is to be kind to yourself. And then, this is also the first time we're actually living in the present moment and we're taking life day by day because. We don't know what the future holds. No. You can try to predict the future, but there's no planning. There's no planning now. It's 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 really hard. I mean, you see people and how they're having their weddings. They're just really quick in the backyard, and just that's my uh, wedding. Yeah. And I love that. I love that idea. I wish I could go back to a small wedding. <laughs> it's yes, like now you yes. you don't have to argue with your mom and and feel like that. Now oh, she can't drama. invite her fifty million friends. Yes. It's your wedding, <laughs> but it's just like the whole point of just like living in the now. And it's it's crazy that, you know, our bodies were, were physically in the now, but our minds were always like, you know, juggling between the past and the present. This is the first time I feel like we're kind of aligned, but in a weird way, we seem like we're all frazzled because it's the first time. Yeah. It's the first time we were living in the present. But I really hope that whoever's listening, you know, you gained a lot of information and insight on Sada's story and your experience. I can't thank you enough for opening up about this. I think this is really hard because people 
people are really hard on mothers, very judgmental. Yes. You're you're expected to be so perfect and to basically wear so many different hats and to be in so many different places all at once. It's it's really difficult. You're taking care of another human being too at that. But I, I really commend you for coming on, sharing your story, opening up, and just being honest about your you know mental health journey as well. Not a lot of people are honest about that, and not that they're not honest. It's just it's hard for them to open up. So. Thank you for people like you who are just very open. And I know a lot of women are very appreciative of you and just coming on here and sharing your story. And lastly, I hope you guys, you know, go ahead and check out Sada's Instagram. It's Sugarland Sada. It's um, S-U-G-A-R as sugar and then land and then your first name Sada, S-A-R-A. I absolutely love the contents you share on there. You kind of developed a family on there, right? It's, it's beautiful. I, I try, I try very hard not to uh, share too much, but sometimes, you know, I'm like, it's, you start forming a small community and you notice that when you are vulnerable and you show up, it forms a deeper connection with people. So um, I'm trying to get better about that. And again, of course, some of that has to do with your own body image issues, your own, I'm not fashionable, like, God, I haven't colored my hair, or I haven't done my eyebrows, all of those things come into play. But again, the idea is show up, right? Show up in whatever state you're in. And people will respond, you will find your tribe, it takes a while. But trust me, the people who are rejecting um, whatever it is that you are, or your story, um, they weren't meant to be part of your tribe. And that is okay. And really, I just have to end by saying thank you both so much for sharing your thank platform you. with me. And having this discussion, you know, because it's amazing how many um, interviews I'll have with uh, non-Muslim organizations or podcasters. Um, and it's very rare for um, Muslim women to come in and say, I find this topic difficult. Let's talk about it. Yes, definitely. Because as soon as we see your page, they have seen your page, we're like, we love we this. need to yeah because, and i want to link yeah. that huffington post article in the description of this episode because when i read it it was kind of like chills all over my body i need everyone i know to read this article yeah because it's it's, it's so hard sweet. it's hard to open up about these things within our community and i love our community i mean it's not just our community that struggles with this but i want us to be the first community that's okay with this yeah. it's the trailblazers like why not so inshallah we can continue having these conversations postpartum is something that we visited in the past and i think it's a topic that i will forever continue to visit because again every woman has her own story and you're going to see yourself in somebody's story and you're going to feel okay about the struggles that you're facing and the purpose of this platform or any other platform that's created by another muslim woman is to show that you're not alone in whatever it is that you're dealing with and i think that's the best way to end it and i can't thank you enough sada honestly inshallah you know allah answers all the du'as made on behalf of you and your family because you are just inshallah. such a just a radiant person you're so easy to talk to and so easy especially when it comes to such a difficult topic but we can't thank you enough sada thank you thank you thank you both so so much another great conversation in the books we can't thank sada enough for coming on here for being so open and honest about her postpartum journey you know what i mean i learned so much about postpartum and then of course on the flip side postpartum depression you know, a lot of us are going through it. A lot of us are sometimes even unsure about our feelings, to be honest. And I also like that we kind of touched upon the topic of being body positive. You know, for the longest, I think we're always just assessing our bodies and we're just so obsessive over it and what, how much weight we lost, how much weight we gained, 
What are we eating? What are we not? You know, ever since I started working out again, I really had to put myself in check. Like, stop. You're not working out to be, to have six pack abs and what, no, I'm not going to have that. I know I'm not going to have that because that's not what I really truly want. And I feel like you're setting yourself up for failure because again, we're in an era where we want like instant gratification. So there's not a button I can press to like, you know, obviously have the six pack abs. Like, and again, I don't want six-pack abs. It's <laughs> too much work. It's just too much work. Like, this girl likes her fries and stuff like yeah. that. If you have six-pack abs, that's, it sounds weird that I'm saying six-pack abs. Isn't it the same thing? I think that's just, how you say it, don't you? I don't know. It sounds so weird. But I just liked that Sada really explained it in such an amazing way. And especially when you're a mother and your body changes, even if you're not a mother, your body is continuously changing. Like, you know, I don't fit into my size zero jeans that, you know, obviously I was size zero in high school. Yeah. I didn't have the, you know, it's just, that's just what size I was at the age of 31. I'm probably not going to be that size again. So your body changes throughout the years. And I think that's something that we have to learn to yes. accept that just because we don't fit in our high school clothes doesn't mean that we should, you know, shame ourselves, shame ourselves. Exactly. And I think we need to stop putting so much weight on our weight. That makes yes. sense. You know, like we can't place our happiness based on a number of, on the scale. Do you know what we like, halt our happiness until yes. we reach a certain weight? But it's like even when we reach that certain weight, we're still not happy. Yes, we we're keep, never satisfied. Yeah. But yeah, recently you did something incredible. You threw away. Yeah. So like I was just donating clothes. I'm going through my closet and I finally let go of my favorite pair of jeans that don't fit me. And I was holding on to them for God knows what reason because I know that they're not going to fit anytime soon. So I just parted ways with them. And I think that is like a great step in learning to accept what your body is now. doesn't mean that you have to like stop working out or eating healthy. You can still be on that journey. But I think letting go of things that no longer fit in your life or on your body, I think is like yeah. the best thing that you can do for your mental health. It's the best thing. Honestly, when you go through this like purging phase of going through your closet and your room and you're cleaning out things, it just feels good to throw things away. Stop holding on to things. I think yes. we hold on and we say, oh, we're going to fit this again or whatever. No, appreciate where you are right now. I know it's easier said than done. I really do. It's, yeah. it's really hard. But again, don't focus so much on that number, on that scale. It really doesn't serve you a purpose. Of course, you can still be healthy. Of course, you can eat well. Of course, you can still work out and stuff like that. But don't allow somebody else's weight be your goal like yes. your goal should just always be where you're mentally healthy physically healthy spiritually emotionally all that good stuff compare yourself to who you were yesterday just don't try to compare yourself to somebody else you know speaking of comparing yourself to who are you, who you were yesterday i think my least favorite thing is like getting those facebook memory notifications and like seeing a picture of myself and thinking why did I think that I needed to lose weight then? Like yeah. that's, and it's like, I wish I was just happy in that moment instead wow, of like focusing on like a number and then looking back years later thinking, why couldn't I have just been happy the way that I was? You I'm know what I so mean? I'm so glad you brought that up because right now, like you probably think, oh, I wish I fit my favorite jeans again. That would be nice. And then, but like, even when I fit in those jeans, I wasn't satisfied with my body. Exactly the point that I was getting to. That's oh, so, it's so annoying. So <laughs> Can we just leave it off on that note? Because just remind yourself, like those Facebook notifications remind you of like you not being happy at that moment and, and then you're not yeah it's just a cycle it's, it's just stop cycle. be happy you guys i hope you guys enjoyed this episode 
Thank you. Thank you so much to Sara Ahmed. You're incredible. Please follow her on social media, you guys. She shares everything about postpartum and just even just being a mom in general, not just postpartum, but just being a mother. You yeah. know, motherhood is incredible. It's an incredible feeling um, and it's an incredible journey. And inshallah khair for everybody. As I always say this, like I should always end it you, off. I, I feel like you're like a mom to like everyone. Like inshallah khair. Because like, I just want everybody to be happy. I just want, I know it's really hard, goal, yeah. but I just want everybody just to not be so fearful of what they're facing right yeah. now. Just think about who gave you this hardship. It's Allah. And he's the creator who truly, truly, truly loves you. He's not going to give you something that is going to just, you know, make you struggle so much or, or make you surrender to this dunya. No, he's doing this because he wants you to grow. And I think it's really important to just really understand that all these hardships and all these blessings come from one higher being. And that is Allah. So just don't feel so alone in whatever you're facing. And don't, don't give up, honestly. I love that. Look at <laughs> you. I just got so like deep right now, but I love you guys. And I think we're done. We'll see you guys next week because we still do our little mini series. So yes. Yes. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.